Article 3, As It Was in the Days of Noah, Part 3, by Pastor Dan Gaiman. The Bible is a sacred library divinely inspired and providentially preserved as the revelation of our transcendent God to his covenant children. Some 40 authors, all of them sharing kindred blood and faith, were Hebraic Israelites living over a span of 1,600 years. They were successfully immortalized in the Hall of Faith as those chosen of God to record his divine revelation from heaven. Everyone today who has been called by grace and blessed with faith in Jesus Christ and the gospel of his kingdom is a benefactor of a legacy that can never be measured. The biblical account of Noah, his building the ark, and the Genesis flood hold an extraordinary place in this panorama of biblical truth. No event in earth's history beyond the conception, birth, and incarnation of Jesus Christ as very God and very man rises above the Genesis flood in shaping the biblical worldview of a Christian. As we examine the flood in this third part of As It Was in the Days of Noah, a phrase that Jesus Christ introduced and recorded in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, I would be remiss if I did not encourage you to examine how this event shapes your worldview and interpretation of Scripture. Bible believers seldom question the literal meaning of the great events of the creation, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, the arrival of sin into the Garden of Eden, or the sad tale of Cain and Abel. Generally, Christians don't balk at the literal building of the Tower of Babel and a plethora of other Bible stories. For reasons that I do not know, many professing Christians choke when it comes to the story of Noah and the Genesis Flood, an earth-shaking event that occupies a greater portion of Scripture and attention from our Creator God than any other comparable event ever. What you do with the Genesis Flood will impact your biblical worldview in ways that are difficult to imagine. In this article, I encourage you to simply allow God's Word to speak. Open the eyes of your mind and heart and let the Holy Spirit teach you. Jesus reminds us in John chapter 6, verse 63, that it is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. Since God is the only living witness to the G Genesis flood, I implore you to allow his testimony to be just as real and specific and true as the stories of creation, Adam and Eve in the garden, the virgin birth, and the Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, and miraculous ascent back to heaven. The Life Message of Noah The account of the Genesis Flood compels us to consider Noah's life message. He was an exemplary father in our lineage. Noah was an obedient man of indomitable faith. He believed in and trusted God. He was a man of action who put legs on his faith. Noah was a nonconformist. He did not march to the drumbeat of the cultural trends of his day. Noah was not afraid to stand alone and face ridicule. It's even safe to say that Noah was a patient and persistent believer. God warned him about 120 years in advance of the flood that it was coming. And Noah proceeded to use his time wisely in warning his fellow man and building the ark. Finally, the Bible affirms in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 that Noah feared God meaning that he exemplified a deep reverence, respect, and honor of God. Thus, 
Noah's life message should inspire us to live by faith, walk in obedience to God, and be people of action to exemplify our faith. By our fruits, we are known. We should not be afraid to be nonconformists in this evil world. We should cultivate patience and persistence in our walk with God, and remember that nothing pleases God more than to be believed and to be obeyed. This is how we respect God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. He deserves our highest praise, reverence, honor, and fear. Consider this statement from Jesus Christ. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. From Matthew 24, verse 37. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. From Luke chapter 17, verse 26. Apply these verses to our culture today. American public schools are teaching young children that their gender may have been misidentified at birth. Some ungodly doctors are administering hormonal drugs to prevent puberty changes that God intended for maturing bodies. Many liberal-minded leftists actually believe that they can turn a woman into a man and a man into a woman. This is an upside-down, topsy-turvy, depraved world. Men cannot bear children, no matter what your culture tells you. God assigned every individual a gender. Do not attempt to change God's original design. You do so at your own peril. Listen to God's diagnosis of American culture today from Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. We are awash in a debased culture with our minds obsessed with evil and our sense of moral consciousness seared. Shame on us. At the time of the Genesis flood, God declared this, The end of all flesh is come before me. What does that mean? Does it mean that the levels of race mixing, moral depravity, and obsession with sexual perversion were so horrific that God believed that the end of all flesh was at hand? Let us not forget that in the same sermon that Jesus reminded his elect children about Noah and the flood, he also stated this, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. From Matthew chapter 24, verses 21 through 22. Please understand, that you need to include the event of the Genesis Flood and its implications as central to your biblical vision. In part 3 of this study, consider this passage from Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I found righteous before me in this generation. This was a marvelous invitation to survive the most catastrophic event ever to occur. Come thou and all thy house into the ark. How gracious is our mighty Creator! To be invited into an ark of refuge was the equivalent to the Holy Spirit's quickening power calling us to a place of repentance, faith, refuge, and salvation. Could there be any greater invitation? Jesus said this to believers in Matthew 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
it would be good for all of us to know that the mandated holy convocation is an invitation for us to find peace of mind and rest for our souls, as well as instruction and fellowship with other believers every Sabbath day. Have you ever heard these words in song? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord? Well, this is exactly what happened. Noah's faith was blessed with God's grace. Noah believed God, and it was accounted or imputed to him for righteousness. If you have been quickened and called from the darkness of this world into the marvelous light and love of Jesus Christ and his kingdom gospel, look to the heavens and give God all glory and honor due his holy name. Thank him for the grace he has extended to you. The story of Noah's flood is quite compelling. Just one family survived this terrible deluge, reminding us of the tremendous importance of the family. This should convince every one of us to aspire to build a family that is committed to living by faith and in obedience to God's word. Hardly anything is more important than our achieving this most noble goal, for this is the ultimate means by which men and women can please God and find fulfillment on this earth. Building a godly family does not just happen. It requires an investment of both the father and the mother, Raising a godly family requires personal sacrifice. It requires that parents prioritize their spiritual time, life, wealth, and child training and education. As faithful and obedient as Noah was to God, surely you can imagine that he tried hard to raise a godly family. Moving along in scripture, Genesis chapter 7 verses 2 through 3 declares this, Of every clean beast... Thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female, of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. This passage gives additional detail not given in Genesis chapter 6, verse 19, which records this, And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark, the intent here is clear. Every living thing of all flesh included all life forms, nothing excepted. This would have included people from every distinct and separate race. God intended to wipe the entire face of the earth clean. All life forms that breathe air would perish. God's promise in Genesis 6 chapter 17 is quite clear. And behold, I even I do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life. From under heaven and everything that is in the earth shall die. And Genesis chapter 7 verse 4. For yet seven days and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. This is the first mention of how long the downpour would last. Remember that Noah had never seen rain, nor had anyone else. Before the great deluge, a mist watered the earth. Look to Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 through 6. That generation must have found it incredibly difficult to believe Noah when he warned of an impending flood and confirmed it by working on a massive boat. What ridicule poor faithful Noah must have endured! How he must have been mocked! Genesis chapter 7, verses 5 and 9, records this. 
And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife, and his sons' wives with him into the ark, because of the waters of the flood, of clean beasts, and of beasts that are not clean, and of fowls, and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. There went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. Notice in verse 7 that Noah and company entered the ark seven days before the rain began. This was the last call for sinners. They could believe, repent, confess their sins, and plead for entry, or they could join the crowd that mocked obedient Noah. Is it any different in our time of history? How many millions march merrily through life, eating, drinking, and partying with no regard whatsoever for God, for a day of judgment, and particularly a baptism of the earth by fire, as the Apostle Peter describes in his second epistle? Let's look at Genesis chapter 7, verse 10 through 12. And it came to pass, after seven days, that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, the seventeenth day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. Notice how explicit this is. Noah was six hundred years old, and the time was quite specific. Notice that time was measured in the same increments we use today. Days, weeks, months, and centuries. Noah obviously used a solar lunar calendar, utilizing both the sun and the moon. One can calculate the time measurements given in Genesis chapter 7 and 8 and see that the months in the time of Noah were exactly 30 days each, totaling 360 days. We cannot build this exact calendar now because the earth is tilted on its axis 23 and one-third degrees. What great cataclysmic event caused such a violent event? Many Bible scholars believe this occurred as a direct result of the Genesis flood. Genesis 7 verse 11 marks day one of the flood, year 600, second month, 17 day. The fountains of the great deep broke up as the windows of heaven opened. This verse requires much research. Creation scientists have written volumes on what might the terms in this verse mean that describe the source of water that once covered the entire earth to this depth. Genesis 7 verse 12 and 17 marks day 40. This was year 600, third month, 27th day. Consider that all the fountains of the great deep broke up possibly referring to vast underground reservoirs of superheated water, which shot up into the atmosphere because of the continental plates splitting. Remember that at the time of creation in Genesis 1 verse 9 through 10, there was only one large continent and one large ocean of water. The Genesis flood witnessed this splintering of this vast landmass into seven continents that we know today. Many scholars believe that a luxurious canopy of water once existed in the heavens, turning the earth into a giant greenhouse with heavy vegetation, which could sustain huge plant-eating creatures like dinosaurs. When this canopy of water came down, it reversed the ratio of land to water. Before the flood, about three-fourths of the surface of the earth was land and one-third water. But afterward, this ratio reversed and caused enormous changes in the climate. Thus, 
we now have marked seasonal changes of spring, summer, fall, and winter. In Genesis 7, verse 13 through 16, we read, In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark, they and every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they went in, male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The term selfsame day implies that our sovereign God had foreordained exactly what would occur on this day. Then, when Noah and all life forms were aboard the ark, the Lord Jehovah shut them in. God closed and sealed the door. In the parable of the ten virgins, we read of another door being shut in Matthew 25, verse 10. We can perceive of yet another door being shut in John chapter 10, verse 9. When the last member of the elect in Jesus Christ has been called, quickened, and by grace through faith saved in Jesus Christ, one day the door of salvation will close. Will you be aboard Jehovah's Ark at this time? Genesis chapter 7 verse 16 confirms again the explicit language that all flesh of every kind wherein is the breath of life went inside the ark. You can't possibly believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible in the story of creation and then deny the reality of a universal deluge of water that covered the earth. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 17 through 18, this marked the second stage of the catastrophic flood. And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth. And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth. And the ark went upon the face of the waters. At this point, the ark is now drifting, and the waters are increasingly dramatically as the heavens opened and the fountains of the deep began gushing to flood the earth. The waters prevailed, indicating that the water level was increasing daily. Each day, more kinds of life were drowning. Genesis chapter 7 verse 19 and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. As the flood increased by incredible levels, more life perished. Only those who were able to ascend to the highest elevations could survive the rushing, muddy waters. Since eventually the high hills under the whole heaven were covered, some scholars believe that the original earth did not possess some of the highest elevation mountain ranges that we see now, but that the geological forces under the earth were creating pressure so great that the earth began bulging, forcing the highest elevation mountain ranges to appear. In Genesis 7 verse 20, 15 cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. Scholars believe that the maximum depth above the highest hills was about 22 feet, or half the height of the ark. This could approximate the draft of the ark. This marks the second time that the Genesis record says that the hills or mountains were covered. Reflect upon the literal meaning of what God says in these verses. Can you imagine the water that was upon this earth? 
Recall these inspired words from the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 5-6. through 6. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, we read, And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle, and of beast, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land died, and every living substance was destroyed from upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, and the creeping thing, and the fowl of heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. Every living substance, every oxygen-breathing life form, perished by drowning or by being crushed in some violent way. The violence of water is difficult to imagine until you see footage of a local raging river. Think of the extremely hot liquid in the form of melted lava, rocks of every kind, even metals melted into liquid, shooting up into the earth. This flood caused volcanoes, earthquakes, and other violent acts of nature. Geological evidence in the layers of sedimentary rocks all over the planet carry abundant evidence of creatures of every kind buried in an instant and fossilized. Previously, we mentioned the fossilized sharks in Ohio, the whales in Michigan, and marine life at 7,000 feet above sea level in Wyoming and scattered on mountaintops all over the world. Giant graveyards of fossilized animals are everywhere even in little-known Agate Springs in Nebraska. Genesis chapter 7, verse 24. And the waters prevailed upon the earth in 150 days. This marked the end of the second major stage of the flood before the flood waters began to diminish. Many scholars believe that this period witnessed the peak of the great cataclysmic flood. Genesis chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 reads, and God remembered Noah, and every living thing, and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters assuaged. The fountains also of the deep, and the windows of heaven were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters returned from off the earth continually, and after the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters were abated. God remembered the covenant that he made with Noah, this covenant was unconditional and covered all the created life on board the ark with Noah, as well as the life forms that survived in the waters. Noah and all those aboard the ark remained alive. At long last, the fountains of the deep, subterranean regions of the earth emptied, and the windows of heaven closed. Only then did the waters begin to recede. The entire event was far longer than forty days and forty nights. In Genesis 8, verse 4, And the ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. This was about five months, or 150 days, past the flood's beginning. The ark came aground, but no land was visible. Today, the mountains of Ararat consist of two extremely high peaks in Turkey, 
whose two summits are about seven miles apart. The highest peak is 16,695 feet, almost 3,000 feet higher than the many 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado. Genesis 8 verse 5 reads, And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month, in the tenth month on the first day of the month. Is it not mind-boggling that this marked day 223 of the flood? At long last, they spotted land. Can you imagine their excitement after nothing but endless, muddy, debris-filled water? In Genesis 8 verse 13, And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. This was day 313, the year 601, first month and first day. Noah removed the covering of the ark and found some dry ground. In Genesis 8, verse 14 and 15, we read, And in the second month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife, and thy sons, and thy sons' wives with thee. Noah and his family were inside the ark for about one year and ten days. How weary they must have been! Can you imagine their jubilation at being able to step onto dry ground? The world that existed before the flood was radically different than the earth that Noah and his family met after the flood. These were people who had lived in two completely different worlds. Life would radically change. Mankind's longevity would slowly reduce, as there no longer were the waters of the heavens to filter the ultraviolet rays of the sun. The vegetation of the earth would radically change, and seasonal changes would be real. One of the first priorities after the flood was for Noah to build an altar and offer sacrifices of the clean creatures to God. God had commanded Noah to be fruitful and multiply. Noah's three sons and their wives heeded this warning and brought forth sixteen grandsons and many granddaughters, according to Genesis chapter 10. In the Reformation Heritage Bible, page 19 and 20, it provides some serious warnings for us. God's judgment upon the world of sinners is fearsome. The thought of millions of people drowning while water sweeps away all human construction is horrifying. Yet, it's a small thing compared to the burning wrath of God yet to come when the Lord Jesus appears with his holy angels. The flood brought death, but Judgment Day will bring eternal punishment in hell. Let us give sober consideration to this awesome and inevitable reality. How does the flood teach us to fear the Lord Jehovah? The Lord calls men, women, and children through the gospel to come into the ark of safety. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, just as the Lord shut Noah and his family into the ark and protected them during the flood, so the Lord will save all who trust in Christ alone from the wrath that is to come. After the flood came, no one was left except those in the ark. In the same way, the living church of Jesus Christ will be the only people to escape God's wrath. Therefore, come to Christ now and place your entire trust in Him. In the next issue of The Watchman, part 4 of As It Was in the Days of Noah, 
will conclude this series.